I had a bit of that with the last 500 meters of the Ely boat race. There's an inlet like three kilometers in and we'd basically been a length down the entire way up. And Jesse the Cox goes, to stay, stay in it, we've got to go now. So I started going, hoping the finish line was not two kilometers away then. And so in the last 500 meters, I'm at like half slide, throwing my head up the slide to like use the momentum of my body to get myself. <laughs> Got your neck on it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Hey, what is up? Welcome to Last Show Counts. Today's episode is going to be an unprecedented panel where we have the full Rogier house in the Leander Library. Please welcome Tom, Arthur, Susie, Morgan and Josh to the podcast. Roll credits. Talked about this, I feel like I always say this, talked about this one for a while, um, but yeah, really nice to get panel going. A little bit of technical issues, we're one mic short, but I'm sure we'll make it work. Um, it's another one where I think we've had a lot of episodes have been very serious and get into the like the sort of deep stuff uh, in terms of rowing and mental fortitude and things like that. So I thought we'd have one that maybe a bit more fun, get away from that, talk about um, some of the other stuff that happens with rowing and inevitably all the stories that kind of follow that. Um, so yeah, um, but I think first it'd be kind of interesting just to ask Morgs, how's it going in America? It is good. Um, uh, it's very American. Uh, as you would expect. It's, do you know, it's been a culture shock. And I and now, in hindsight, which is a wonderful thing, um, obviously it's going to be very different. But I think because they speak English, you're like, yeah, how, how different can it be? And if I was preparing to go and live in a European country and they speak a different language, I'd probably have prepared a bit more for things to be different. Um, but it's, it's really different. And I mean, America's massive, so of course it's different. Um, but at the same time, it's incredibly similar. Um, but I think a funny thing for me is they find my accent quite difficult to understand. Um, we find your accent difficult. <laughs> Actually, people just find it difficult to understand. So try to enunciate a little bit more, you know, say a little bit less slang. Um, but no, still speak Aussie. Will there be yeah. uh, subtitles for this podcast? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Translation is available on request. Um, but yeah, it's been good. But more when more coxes, she'll go into a uh, go. Righto, so if you just put your blade in for me. <laughs> goes, into, goes into an Australian if no one can understand that accent, by the way. Is it, okay. there's, because we've had, I had one American Cox once when we were coaching at Oxford and it's, every word is different. Like they don't say AZ or they say Wayne off. Yeah, Wayne off, like, um, Port Starboard. Yeah. Uh, there's been a few times, so when I got up to, to brief these kind of three eights, there's even a Brit in one of these eights. So I stand around and I'm briefing and I get to the end and then it's silent. And the brick just looked at me, she's like, none of that was English. I'm like, right, okay. But there's been times where I've been like, right, okay, easy there. Easy there. Easy there. And then I'm like, stop. <laughs> like, oh, sorry about that. Or um, uh, it's a buoy. A buoy, yeah. Or, and then, but I, I'll be like, right, okay, over to the boy line and carry on. And I feel like when I say buoy, I say it in a really, really weird way. So they also just don't know what I'm saying. Um, but one of the kids was like, oh, what are you calling it? And I was like, a boy. And I, I spell the word out. Like, say it phonetically, it says boy. And she's like, oh, I always wondered why someone had this T-shirt. And I'm like, it said, yeah, buoy. 
To be fair, the port starboard one is actually right. Like that's what the whole rest of the world uses for. It's only us that use strokes like that side. And it does make me think that we uh, don't don't um, bow side stroke boats because we say stroke and bow. They yeah, think yeah. that we're only rowing, you know, stroke side stroke. So one of the questions I get asked a lot is, "Like, oh, so you go, why do you only um, port side stroke out there?" And I'm like, "Well, we don't." And I like, well, was stroke and bow. But otherwise, rowing is rowing, you know, and it's to say where you are, and that's been pretty nice, and it's a great team, very welcoming. Um, is it big squad? Big squad. I mean, there's like 60 rowers, 10 copses, wow. which is mad considering you have, what, three NCAA boats, so that means there's only three cox positions available, and you still have seven athletes to stick around for the team, so it's pretty cool to have you know, six cox tours out side by side of a session or you get your four or five eights out and you just crack on, run drills, whatever you're doing, it's all side by side. It's all kind of, there's real synchronicity in what we do. And Are you on a lake? Experience. You've got a lake that you're on. It's, uh, we're on on the Ravana River or the Ravana Reservoir, which is, we've got maybe like an 8K stretch, a good, a good five, 6K of that is just kind of like free flowing water. There's not a lot of stream. And then we've got a good 2K of a Boyd course. Um, and then there's also Lake Monticello that if anything is, you know, wrong with the waterway, we can go over there. Um, but it's, even in its narrowest part, we can still fit three eights abreast. In the narrowest part. <laughs> good weather. Lovely weather. It's so flat, even when, even when it's blowing an absolute gale, it's still so flat calm that I get annoyed. I just drive my launch in front of them. Because they need to learn. Because wash is a privilege. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I make some shake. And I, there's just no need. It's so flat. We had, um, I rode at school in on the seven in Worcester and the banks are super high because the river comes up high. And like one year, just not even, obviously it's very shattered anyway. Just had good, good weather. Got rowing really well. Went fast. And then turned up to Nat schools in Nottingham and no one had a clue what to do. We, we got I'm on. I'm on. Yeah. We just, you got to practice in it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So you've got to make some waves. Literally. Pubs on just reminds me of that Oxford fixture. <laughs> Go on. Yeah. You tell Sarah or You can tell. It's funny when you say it. <clears throat> so, uh, where was it? 2018, 2019? Dark Ages. Yeah. Years ago, we Leander had a fixture um, against Oxford. Uh, so we're out on the Tideway. Oxford. Blowing an absolute hooli, um, wind against stream, like the works, like really quite unpleasant conditions. Biblical. The, the Biblical. best, the best sort of conditions. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> biblical. And uh, you know, it's bad when Ross brings the like, old pump box, which is full of the full of the pumps, which is the pumps from a from a fish tank. <laughs> is what he's not got like. Apart. Not like proper sort of. No ones for no. So somehow him, they're like the most budget-looking yeah. pumps you've ever seen. Found the supplies from a, from an aquarium, and those <laughs> are the Leander pumps. That's so late. so we do our pre-paddle in the morning, and um, Ross is frantically trying to get these pumps fitted to the boats. So and just thinking, oh god, like th- this is going to be this isn't going to be good. And we're warming up, and literally, like water is coming in from both sides of the boat. Morg's just trying to press this. This fact. that the battery has no holder, and I'm like, what am I going to like rush up? What are we going to do with this battery? It's going to get wet. It was you hold me to your feet. He finds a tupperware 
Sudah bu? Bank and then just sit it on the side of the bank 
So this full, like this eight full of water is just crushed down on the pebbles uh, on the side of the, of the bank. And then like the whole side was just littered with these boats that they've been saving. Do you know, I love a good Banksy comment when I'm like, out coaching. So sometimes I'll see it, I'll be like, oh, it's that putting pins in my head. <laughs> what did he say about, he said about one of the athletes? He was like, watching you roar, it's like sticking pins in my eyes. Favorite, uh, yeah. I'd like to get him on at some point. Yeah, I think it'd be good fun. He's got some crackers. He should write a book. Oh, yeah. Kevin H. Just things. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the Banksy soundboard, you can just like hit hit the button yeah. when you want there. Catch and Will roared, Leander. Or well, him on the bike and gym cheering himself yeah. on. Go on, like shit. <laughs> you could do it. One hour more. I like that, though. I like seeing that. Like, that's, the, that's the PG version there. Mm. You can do it. Everyone does a good Banksy impression. We've all been laughing about the previous um, podcast where everyone's got a slightly different Jürgen impression. It's got quite a funny Jürgen impression. All different, all different versions of the same. Go same get us your best Jürgen impression. Oh well, Charles Cousins was like, "This is not Thomas Cook." Then I caught him and Will playing volleyball in the pool. <laughs> like, what are you doing? Why are you not training? This is not Thomas Cook. Alex Part was just like, "Ah, oh, fuck!" Like it was pretty loud. No, I'm not. I'm not the best. There's definitely better ones. Yeah, so many times. Uh, so there's a, we're, we're going to be like out on jobs and like something doesn't go right or like we miss a bolt or whatever. We just yeah, fuck. Or like if you've been sat down for too long, you get up and everything hurts. You're like yeah, fuck. We need to we need to get a podcast soundboard um, both for Banksy and Jurgen impressions. I reckon. Or the other one is fuck shit. <laughs> fuck shit. <laughs> oh, shit. Is it shit? Yeah, we were. a lot of swearing now. Oh well. Right, what else are we going to talk about? We should probably introduce Arthur, who hasn't been been on camera before. Uh, Go on, then. This is my brother, Arthur. <laughs> he uh, hasn't rowed himself, but spent a long time in a family of rowers supporting athletes. And then uh, having thought he'd got away from rowing when I finished, ended up uh, dating another rower who was sitting on the other side of the table. Have you seen that video that's like, who's that wonderful girl? That's <laughs> what I'm envisioning now. She's <laughs> oh, not. Oh, child. Oh, Jimmy, cuter. For Instagram, you've got to buy this. So good. Honestly, it was like you're doing that to work and I'm watching this. Howling, like crying. Yeah. Yeah. I've got to find that clip now. We'll do the meme. Gonna do the meme for Arthur. Yeah. Um, also worked with Rogue. When did you start working with Rogue? No, 2010 ish yeah it was it was sort of before university during university then i moved to henley once i finished and you pretty much <clears throat> paid for my travels yeah I saved that money so yeah. a little bit after yeah spent a lot of time working for Rogue. yeah in, in last year fairly constantly yeah on and off but uh, yeah keep dragging him back in cheap labor <laughs> still pretty good and um, oh definitely um but yeah, I thought an interesting thing of having you in this in this episode was like you said, you've got a very good perspective of rowing from someone who was not never rowed. You did row briefly at school. Yeah, I did a little bit, but I, it was just never my sport. Didn't really interest me, like doing it. But because of you and now Susan in general, I've always been like a fan of rowing, um, but it just wasn't something I enjoyed doing. I still don't understand why any of you enjoy doing it, to be perfectly honest. How nice that you've got real perspective about the sport, whereas the rest of us are still just like, 
love it, but wounded by it, you know? Well, that's what's, that's what's strange about writing. This is what I always say about Tom, the difference to Tom and I, is I generally like to enjoy what I'm doing. Like, you do it because it's fun, whether it's playing rugby or I guess CrossFit's a little bit different, but generally I do stuff because I enjoy it, whereas I feel like rowers, it's about how much pain can you suffer to win. I think it's, it's like, about the winning. No, but I think it's what. Well, that's, 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 that's part of the. But that's the process. That's part of the winning. But that's the process. Like I don't think many people would be like, yeah, I can't wait to go out of the pissing rain, do twenty k in my single. But you enjoy what it gives you. Yeah, and you yeah, do no, you right. do CrossFit sessions now where you work yourself to death. Yeah, so I get it a little bit more with, with CrossFit. But the 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 reason I can do CrossFit is because it's different every time. So I don't get bored of it. Well, rowing's different every time. Sometimes it could be windy. Sometimes. You're doing a 30-minute or something crazy that you're doing. That's just rowing on an ergo, the same movement again and again and again. Well, sometimes you could blow 10 minutes in. Sometimes you could blow 20 minutes in. (laughs) You could do five minutes in. You could do an hour free rail and be hospitalized. (laughs) Yeah, good training, though. But what was it Banksy said? He went... Yeah, you shouldn't have read it so hard at the end. Yeah, the last two minutes really killed you off. Whereas, is this post our test? Or... This is post coming back from the ambulance trip. We did, so we, a session at Leander used to be an hour free rate on the ERG. And before the ERG, I was like, oh, I don't feel good. I don't feel right at all. But I was like, I've got to do it. Otherwise, people would just think that I'm like, like getting out of it. Like, just can't be asked to do it, whatever. So I did it. And I'm Riding along thinking I do not feel good here. 15 minutes in, I'm like, fuck. Still got 45 minutes of doing like rate 28, rate 29. And then I finished. Somehow actually managed to like pretty much hold the same split. But then finished, went outside. I remember seeing Barney outside. I was like, oh, I need to go in. Like, I feel really bad. Went in. That was... Last bit I remembered until Ross is in my face going, Susie, Susie. And that was that. Got taken by the ambulance. Yeah. Yeah. Impressive. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, our sessions are really, really. Yeah, but it was the last two minutes that did last. Yeah, yeah, last two minutes. Well, so 58 was fine. It's, it's it's become like a staple test, uh, Oxford, straight through. Yeah, straight through. Like free rate. And so the first, um, we started doing it on the dyno. Yeah. Which is okay because, like, you can just spit. Like, yeah. first year I did it, I think I like, I maybe averaged thirty-one, thirty-two, and then right. in my last year when Oxford then switched to um, statics, I ended up rating twenty-eight. And the physiologist, um, like the sort of the comment in my physiology report after we'd done like step test five k two whatever, was. Um, our test uh, wasn't maximal as the rate was only 28. I was like, I couldn't walk after that. <laughs> like, it was very much maximal. So when you, yeah. if when you want the chain to like be more elastic and pull you back up way more. Yeah. You yeah. <laughs> you're like, <laughs> getting, yeah. Back, getting back up from the back end, yeah. Yeah, I don't not know good. You, you're going up arse first because you've blown so much. Yeah, not good. I, Nick. Clark, whose nickname is Manchild, who he used to row with, he his phrase he said, and he used to do it quite a lot. It was like HDLTR, which was like head down, lick the rigger. <laughs> his last, like when he was actually done his last three minutes, 
He'd just literally like be able to like lick the slide nearly. Head in his lap. A lot of strokes on a Ronald Bowsight by the end. Well, in the... I had a bit of that with uh, it was like the last 500 meters of the Ely boat race. Um, I like so there's an inlet like three kilometers in, and we'd basically been a length down the entire way up until that. And Jesse the Cox goes like right, like guys, to stay, stay in it, we've got to go now. So I started going like not sprinting for the finish line, but like hoping the finish line was not two kilometers away then. And so in the last 500 meters, I'm at like half slide, literally throwing my head up, throwing my head up the slide to like use the momentum of my body to get myself. Got the- your neck on it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like I think my, um, I had, I recorded my heart rate and I ended up like, I think I went from like 196 with like 1.5k to go and cross the line at like just under 160 beats per minute because I've blown so badly. I uh, do you remember like sort of getting to the middle of a race at Dorney, like especially in an eight where you can just kind of obviously the cox is looking after you, so you're just really focusing on working and you think, like, this is I'm really struggling now. Like this next board, like I'm hoping it's 1750, like it's probably 1500. <laughs> I reckon it's 1500, like probably only 500 to go. One, then, then it comes in, it's like one K, and you're like, oh no. Because <laughs> I can never read the markers. Do you remember? Um, do you remember at Met that year when the state boat? Um, you know, we went in Brooks's Lane. Yeah, yeah. and it was. Were you uh, coxing? Oh was, yeah, it was awful. <laughs> did did the rudder did the steering brake? Or no, was this intentional? No. Well, um, when you race on Leander, uh, often uh, not all. Uh, it's not always a favourable thing to race on Leander. Very diplomatic. Yeah, yeah, I was really thinking about the Foxer, and um, you know, we worked straight and. I'll just say failure on my part. We're pointing into Brooks's lane and they say go. So we can say, so no, how Morgan's first word. So hands up like this. The green light goes and Morgan went, fuck. <laughs> so, <laughs> and that was the first one. So we're in Brooks's lane. And anyway, so I just let them start and do what they've got to do. And uh, Beth Bryan has, has recently come out of retirement in the bow seat. I'll have everything now. I don't need anything later on. I just need it right now to get us in the lane. So we're going down Brooks's lane with Brooks. And I'm like, excuse me. Thank you. Don't mind me. Sorry about this. Moving now. We're down. Sorry. Really sorry. Trying to avoid the clash. Thank you. <laughs> like in their lane, just sort of like, you know, weaving a bobbin around them. But do you know, and then we're kind of like, and then I'm like, right, we're back in. All right, we're on. And then we're back in our lane. And then we're there clawing our way. And clawed the whole way. Bearing in mind, Morg was at Brooks. I was at Brooks. Smithers was at Brooks. The, so like Banksy's. Um, this this looks like a calculated move. <laughs> bank, so like you got Banksy on the bank with his go on Leander, but then Spratley, the director of Brooks Rowing, his go-to would be come on the Brooks, come on the Brooks, and he was literally just shouting that the whole way down. And I'm like, I cannot lose this race to Brooks. Like it was for the first half of that race, it was was be a touch and go. I think it was touch and go awards, yeah. Oh, I can't remember. Yeah, brought it out. We really called that one back. But yeah, we spent a, a good part of the first two fifty in someone else's lane. The boat in their lane. Yeah, like, heart, like, like all of us lane. bodies. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> like you know, and I was really apologetic. Like I really didn't want to be over there. And they anyway. they gave us a good race to be fair. It was a very good race. Yeah. Obviously, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fairly succinctly proved my point there. You talked about times when you've been dying in the boat, and then the story about. Oh yeah, 
<laughs> well, that's sport. Have you ever told the, the Subway story on the podcast? Mm, no, yeah, got Yeah, no, that's yours. It's like that. Tom's the perfect example of how obsessed Tom is with winning. Like, we, we, we were in Subway one time and it's like getting his sandwich. We're like, we're like, what salad do you want? He's like, yeah, all of it. And they're like, jalapenos. He's like, yeah. I'm like, Tom doesn't like those. And he's like, yeah, I'll just have all of it. I'm like, Tom, you don't like half the stuff you're putting on. He's like, yeah, but it's how you get your money's worth. So, like, that's that's how you win because then I have everything. I'm like, yeah, but you don't enjoy your sandwich now. So, you're not winning at all. And he was like, there was this moment where he was like, oh, yeah, I can enjoy my sandwich and have less stuff on it. Yeah. No, like, yeah, I've kind of just put that attitude into everything I did, yeah, and it was like, probably still, like, a good few years after, uh, after I finished home, I was in Subway, and I was like, why don't I just have, like, the sandwich I want, <laughs> instead of, like, everything, like, everything, I must have every option. Uh, yeah, you just kind of apply that to everything, every part of your life, or I did, anyway. <laughs> yeah, but I think that's a good analogy as well on uh, how sometimes more is not better. Yeah, so more, more is more is always more. Yeah, yeah less. Bar <laughs> Barnaby de Lars has that tattooed on his ribs. More is more. Who has that? There is? Barnaby de Lars. I can't. You'll probably know who. There's a Brooks rower who has tattooed on his chest. Athletes row. Others just play games. But that's back from my era. I can't I remember. Know. It would be from Boys before Brooks your time. Rowers just have like. Property of OBBC. I was in. I was in a lock-in. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, about them. Two, or is it like two on two? <laughs> was it? Was it? C. C. What's his name? Seabrun. Yeah, I was there when he got his tattoo. So we, I went. Um, Sam Agus and Ed Cordwell. They knew the Brooks. Well, I didn't really know them, so we went for this night out, uh, and we rock up at this house in Cowley, and it's like a crack den. <laughs> not even exaggerating. I know that. On, where, in the wall by the rusty bike bicycle. Awful. It was awful. It was like they, it, it was like their last Pullingdon Road. Is but yeah, but just off Pullingdon Road. Oh, okay. yeah. And uh, it was they were like leaving that weekend. So when we got there, some of them were like, I think they were just they punched some holes in the in the in the wall and they were like burning stuff in the garden <laughs> like this whole like, from the time you enter the house like the whole floor like from the whole entrance like for whatever it is like goes the hallway goes all the way back it's just like that deep with like post and leaflets like, no like no one's picked up a piece of paper for like four years <laughs> so that was the start and then we yeah we end up going out and then somehow end up in a lock-in in a tattoo shop off Billingdon, Billingdon Road with a case of beers, and he was like, "Yeah, no, I want this." So he's got, yeah, property of OUBC tattooed on his arm. Nice. Wait, so he, he got a tattoo whilst pissed. Yeah. Well, the tattoo artist was drinking. Oh shit! Yeah. <laughs> Not just it. Because when he did his best work. <laughs> with Barnaby, when he had his, he was. This was like part way through his week long bender, uh, post Rio, and he said he woke up. The next morning, and the tattoo was then on his bed sheets because oh, he just like bled through it all out. Yeah, oh. so he had to get it redone. Okay, so yeah, one thing I, I would be interesting perspective from art that I think would be worth talking about would be um, how how to support an athlete or a rower because it's obviously a pretty difficult thing. I remember like when I was younger, like mum and dad sort of just being saying like, if Tom like if he's done well, like he'll ring us straight away and we'll hear about it and if we don't hear from him then we know like we're not gonna we won't talk to him and just let me sort of like come home run up to my room and just be pissed off at myself like difficult things like that but like what from your perspective 
you give some people who listen to this some idea of maybe things to support or best ways to approach it when things have gone wrong, stuff like that? Oh, I don't know, really. I think that um, they have to ask Susie for many good at being a supporter. But I think the thing with rowing is you have to try and understand the sport as much as possible. So, like, because for most people, it's usually a, a new sport. I think it's probably fair to say, like, you have the few that all, you know, their kids will do it and their parents did it or whatever. But for a lot of people, they pick it up at school and it's not like, it's not like football or rugby or anything that everyone knows. So you've got to try and understand the sport and you've got to realise that there's, there's quite a lot of, I don't know if politics is the right word, involved in rowing. So it's not necessarily like, you did, you know, you turn up and you do your best and you pulled hard and there, you know, and you see the results of that. There's, it's all a bit part of the bigger program. So how are you, how are this, like their form over time and everything else? So just turning up and doing one good result or getting one 2K isn't necessarily going to be enough for that person to achieve. So they might come home and be like, oh, I got, you know, PB on my 2K, but they're still annoyed. And you're like, what's, I don't get, why is, that's a good thing, right? But there'll be some other little thing that's that's not gone right, or you didn't get the right, you know, stroke rate, or whatever it may be. Um, so I think it's just being conscious of that. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think so. I've, I think I had it, but I've also heard other people talk about it. You know, when you're struggling a bit, maybe, and your mum's like, "Well, why don't you just go and you know, go and talk to your crewmates about the fact that you're struggling?" And you're like, "No, I can't, because like in two weeks' time, I need to seat race them, and I can't have them knowing that." that I've, you know, I'm struggling or finding the training hard or things like that. So, like, there's maybe some other things that are different from other sports, but I don't know, what does anyone else think? The first thing that comes to mind, <laughs> do you remember when we did that, talking about when you're struggling? Do you remember when we, 2021, we did the speed order? Oh, you had me. You were hanging. I, well, I wasn't hanging anymore. Yeah, like, die. <laughs> die. <laughs> Unknown to me, I'm about to become really, really unwell with Red S. And we're warming up and I was like, like crying. I'm like, Morg, I do not feel good. Like my body actually feels numb. Like I, I, I don't know how I'm going to get through this speed order. Like having a full blown meltdown in the stroke seat. And Morg went, Suze, turn around and show everyone. I was like, what? <laughs> Morg's like, go on, turn around. And I'd like turn around and I was like, guys, I'm just really tired and I don't know what to do. And, um, Smithers, she's like, Annie Withers, call her Smithers. She's like one of my best mates. I was her bridesmaid a few years ago, like great back years from Brooks. She was in the eight and she went, oh, just get on with it, Suze. I was like, yeah, all right. <laughs> I will. And that was that. But I, just, I do think it's interesting because actually I think showing your vulnerability is a really important part of the team. But I guess there's a time and a place for it. I also think in like that crew, like everyone is tired. But when you see someone else on the boat, like you, like you're pretty solid as rock. So you turn around and show everyone like, God, I'm I'm so tired. I'm not sure I can do this. Everyone's like, right, like we'll pull. Like Lauren, Lauren Owen, seven seat. She was just awesome. Like every other stroke should basically be like, yeah, I'm here, good, yeah, fine, yeah. And it's just so I think you know in that situation it was the perfect thing to do because. It just shows like you could be having a bad day that other people have got your back and it will go both ways. I think as well, rowing is like you can you can be out, you can be in the boat with other people and you're 
arguably doing everything right. Yeah, it doesn't feel right. And so coming home, you can you can, you know, be a little bit miffed off and like your loved ones can sense that. But then when they ask you and you can't really explain because you're like, Well, I wasn't necessarily doing anything wrong and like nobody was doing anything wrong, it just didn't feel right. And that's where rowing is so weird and addictive and it's in its own right. It's that actually sometimes the what you look at the main thing you're looking for is kind of a little bit of touch and that's so hard to get and i think that's what makes it so difficult to then verbalize to other people who don't do it it's like actually what that is yeah it's the it's a game of inches isn't it really like it's all about the minute details i think that's the other big one again like rugby or football you don't have to be perfect all the time you just have to win and like you you, you do generally if you're playing a game something you might not be perfect, but in the end you win and that's okay. Whereas rowing, obviously you win, yeah, that's great, but you'll come off and you'll be like, didn't do this well enough, didn't do that well enough. Because if we continue doing that, we're going to lose a second and that's enough to maybe lose when we go on to race. So and so. So it's a lot more about the detail, I think. Whereas well, you were saying with like, uh, earlier when you're like, oh, got a two, got a PB on a 2K or whatever, but I, I didn't quite do the right, right, right rate. Like it is that attention to detail. Like for me personally, like if I have a session like uh, Morgs described, like I then find it actually quite hard to switch off coming home. So it's like, so I'll, I like, I have to force myself to make sure I like to just like don't, if like any video was taken from that session, like I don't go back and look at the video or that I'm then not like constantly just like right, running things over in my head. Um, and then like, oh, my 2K PB uh, earlier this year. Like for the second 500, my rate was two pips too low. I was like, well, great, a PB. But yeah, I was like, ideally that could have been two pips too high. I was like, I was, that's not not what I was aiming for. Yeah. Um. So it is like, because you're so focused on trying to, I don't know, take the perfect stroke or trying to like gel with a crew or trying to like perfect your performance, because it is all about like trying to striving for perfection. It can then be really hard to, when you come home, just let that go yeah. and just go, right, okay, I'm going to do something different. I'm going to think about something different and be like either fully present or just like not allow that to then like sort of scratch away and like be a little like mental itch. Um, so yeah, so in terms of like athlete support, like it's useful when someone at home then like helps distract you, if that makes sense. Mm. Because then you've got an entirely new focus, and you can let that mental itch just go. Yeah, we talked when we talked with Ben Welbin. Talked about sort of professionalism, and um, I was sort of thinking about that the other day. And professionalism is not um, it's not being like serious and professional all the time. It's knowing when to do it and when not to do it. And I think with rowing, especially, I've seen this with coaching. When we were coaching now, you can record footage that morning and then airdrop it to all the athletes that day mm. which is great because they get like real-time feedback but then you also find out that that athletes then just spent the whole day they've just found one stroke and they're just single frame going back and forth back and forth they're like there needs there's it's so much concentration when you're doing it there needs to be a time when you're not doing it but like say if you've been working on something that session so like, I've, I've been trying to work on like getting like timing timing my catch to the wheel stopping or whatever and then I'll go and review the footage and then I was like, oh, there are five other things I could be working on as well. Like, why why, why haven't these been put? Why am I not doing these? Like, oh, that's not looking. I'm like, hold oh, my finisher and just, you just spiral. 
Yeah. Um, what we did at uh, uni was quite useful where we'd have like, we'd sit down with Brendan or Sean and we'd go through, we'd literally have like a dedicated like half an hour every now and then, like, right, we'll go through some footage and like, that's that. So that people know, people have their pointers, mm. people can like are told what they're doing well, what they need to work on so that you don't go and do that yourself and go into that little like yeah. sort of rabbit hole of, of finding all these little because I don't know when when you're trying to when you're paying attention to all of these details it's like you can very easily just pick yourself to pieces yeah that's a good point and I think like so combining those two things like Arthur said like learning about rowing like having the knowledge about how the sport works is important but then also like as a supporting person whether you're a partner or a family or whatever there was a little bit of a benefit in the fact that maybe you you're not going to talk rowing mm-hmm. so like like you say like benefit like that's a good thing you say like if someone comes home and they're really pissed off and they're pissed off with their performance or whatever i get you know go and do something else i mm-hmm. get them on to, to do something else get them to have some time away from it because you can just wind yourself up so much go to a rage room <laughs> i was talking yeah i saw one of them the other day they look good game moves on the driving range that was my go-to we'll go to the driving range see you later just smashing golf balls yeah, I remember we spoke to Lola. She was talking about when she was struggling with rowing. I was like, "Oh, so what? What do you do? Like, you know, when you when you're kind of struggling mentally?" She's like, "Well, my go-to is to go rowing." <laughs> so like, when I get injured, that's kind of difficult. It's like, okay, yeah, you probably want something else to like. Right? It's like it's like the ultimate romance. Like the whole the whole time you're searching for this one perfect feeling, and then you either you're either in a single or you're in a crew boat, and so then you've got to like figure figure other people out, and you're like. You have to communicate. So I'm like, if it's going badly, you've got to communicate with each other. But if it's going well, you've also got to communicate with each other. So they keep doing that one thing that you think, yeah, that's right. It's really, really working. And it's this whole puzzle. And then when you get it right and you're like, yes, this is brilliant. It's what I've been searching for. And I always think like, if you approach it like, right, like how, how do you build romance? Well, then you build, then you build around. But, well, it's what? It's so weird. And why do we have like a race when you come off and you're like, oh, I nailed that. And then the time is... Yeah, and you're like, oh my God, how? Or the opposite. I had a race in the final trials one year and I was, I was like, we've absolutely messed that up so bad. Like, it still came like 11. I was like, what? I think it's funny to... um, It's funny to ask people when the result sheet... Like, before the result sheet comes oh, out. Oh, I hate that. Do you look bottom up, top down, or just <laughs> look at it? Like, where do you think you're placing? And it's the worst when you go, like top down and you're like looking looking looking, looking. <laughs> <laughs> who was it it was Al Sinclair wasn't it he was saying about um he didn't think he'd done that well and so he was like he'd never done better than maybe like 20th so he sort of started at 15 but he also knew he'd done badly but he sort of didn't go any higher than he'd ever done so he started at 15 and 20 and he just started getting he was like oh fuck I really messed up and then someone came back and said oh wow me, you smashed it and I went back over and said oh shit fit yeah, and I, like freaked himself out by just being like, I'm at like 150 and I haven't seen one day. It's like the only time I've had feelings like that before is like when your GCSEs are coming out and you just don't know where to look first. You're like, <laughs> just look at it. And then you see see that they're kind of all right. But then, oh God, no, that one's not quite right. But no, there is nothing more stressful than um, waiting for a waiting for a trial sheet result. I also, I'd say I hate people, but I guess I'm probably jealous of the person that's always like, no, nah, no, nah, I've not done very well. I've not done very well. And then every time the results come out and they always have done very well. Like, oh, you're so annoying. But yeah. Now the trick is you want to, when, you, when you've got the GB trial up in Boston, finish the trial, 
get your boat derigged on the trailer, get changed, recovery shaken hand, get out of there before the resolve sheet comes out. Get to the uh, Peterborough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Pull up, pack up, piss off. Although I did that once, got up, got everything loaded, absolutely ready to go. Stood with Dan Richard, giving me a lift up there. And Dan was, Dan was like, oh, we go. Like, as soon as you get off, we're going. And then I honestly, I think we went and found a coach like, we're going, we're going, we're going. And Colin was like, uh, no, you've been selected for random drugs testing. So they had to go, they had a little caravan, had to go in this caravan. And I, um, you pee in one cup, but then you separate it into two cups. And there's like a minimum amount that you have I don't to have. Like treat you like that. I swear. <laughs> no, well, see, there's a minimum amount. You have, there has to be, it has to hit the line on the A and the B sample, otherwise it doesn't count. And then they have to wait for your next week. And it's like, what if uh, this one's really tight? Like, it's going to be a good, could be like yeah, an like, hour. Well, it could be an hour before I like pee again. I can see Dan Ritchie outside, just like, and it's pissed off already. And literally, like, fill the A and B cup. And I was just like, getting like the last drip time. And the guy was like, looking at it. Okay, yeah, yeah, we'll let, we'll let you have that. Drugs testing is always an enjoyable experience. Do you have many? I've never had one. Do you ever get tested? No, no that would be, I guess, have you know of any coxes have been tested? Yeah, normally, like, if it's Olympic year, those coxes are tested. Yeah. What do they test the coxes for? Same stuff. Banned substances. Banned substances, regardless. Beta blockers, things like that, maybe. Sure thing, but like, how does that aid your performance? Like, if you started like taking loads of tests and they like, became really muscly, that doesn't make it. Yeah, but there could be make... like mental stimulation drugs and stuff like that, or presumably something to help you lose weight. Yeah. Oh yeah, like, the too... stuff on the list, same for most sport. Well, like stuff to keep you calm. Yeah. So, yeah. So beta blockers keep your heart rate down. That's what um, weight loss stuff. shooters. Yeah. Would take. Yeah, yeah. Because then it stops the right. They're all moving around. So, Josh. Yeah, so I, how are you doing these days? Uh, recovering. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, yeah, I got rhabdomyolysis uh, from the 2K uh, trials in November. Um, and I, I got to 500 meters in and I was like, oh, this is, this is really easy. I could, could be on for a PB here. And then about 200 meters later... Um, started to go really slowly and I, I crossed the finish line at 138 uh, which was not the intended plan um, but yeah I then spent the night in A&E uh, and yeah saw a kidney specialist on the Tuesday afterwards <clears throat> it's like basically you you get excessive muscle cell death and then their contents goes into your bloodstream and screws up your kidneys so like the sign for me was that my urine was a nice sort of dark ready pink color and what the consultant told me is that is myoglobin which is like the protein that makes up your muscles so i essentially just pissed out my muscles um so yeah my body's taking quite a hit and i'm but i'm on the road to recovery have you lost weight uh no because i spent a week doing nothing so i put on weight um <laughs> came back a couple kilos heavier and then so can you kind of, can you, how did it feel different from like normally blowing up in an air? Like if anyone else is kind of feeling like, is there like having, having had that feeling now, would you go back and be like, oh shit, like that feels a bit different? I don't know, actually. Difficult to compare, like to sort of think in the moment what it was. Yeah. I think in, in the moment I was just solely focused on trying to make the cutoff. Hmm. I wasn't really think, thinking, oh, what's going on? 
because like in the one once it started once I started to go it was like I couldn't sustain like even close to what I've been able to do in like the prep pieces we'd done and so like I, there was like a bit of confusion and bit of panic in the like <clears throat> during the test but yeah I, th I think to start with it was like oh maybe I'm blowing but it was then when I literally I just it wasn't a, like or maybe like oh maybe I don't have the legs today um and so like that middle 1k I was like a, what maybe a split and a half slower than where I wanted to be something like that but then when I went significantly slower in the last 500 I, I basically I just got slower and slower throughout the test um to the point where like I just I didn't really have anything um and like it like I don't know how, how long do you normally take to recover after a 2k like 20 minutes before yeah. you're back to normal yeah like for 90 minutes afterwards I was just completely out of it like for what 60 minutes I was like on my back incoherent I wasn't really able to like couldn't really put string a sentence together I was getting maybe like a, what, a word out every two to three seconds if I really concentrated wow and then after about 90 minutes I started to feel a bit better and then I started to get this like kidney pain but I don't think it was actually my kidneys. I think it was like the muscles around my kidneys that were all just a bit pissed off from what I'd done to myself. Um, and then obviously I then, I went to the loo and then I was like, oh yeah, something bad has happened. Um, so yeah, so I And that was, the, it was doing the earth. Yeah. I was going to say, having spoke to the specialist, to the, what, what is, what are the contributing factors for rhabdo? Well, so so uh, well for when you get it during exercise it is like the strenuous like the strain you put your muscles under um so i made a mine so when we were talking about the hour test earlier a mate of mine got rhabdomyolysis from the hour test he was like what 50 minutes in started sprinting so like severely dehydrated um and so the dehydration then puts his kidneys under more strain uh but then like what two minutes later he's then collapsed off the erg we paramedics called in, um, like threw up, was like practically unconscious, like threw up thick black vomit and spent quite a while in hospital. This was in like September, but I don't know, JP, he's built differently. Um, he is like, there's nothing, I, I, like, I don't think I've ever met anyone who is quite as like driven as he is. And so he made it back uh, for the blue boat. That and this was the year that we ended up not racing, but and so yeah, he just worked, worked and worked and worked and managed to get himself back to fitness. But like, I think he lost five percent of his heart muscle mass. Whoa. Um, yeah. So he so mine was not as bad, sort of anywhere near as bad as his, because I I was only two minutes into a two k. I've definitely heard of it, like in terms of just like an overtraining problem. So like mm. I think CrossFit specifically i've heard a lot because i've got a lot of crosses athletes will just train ridiculous sessions three, yeah. three times a day um like without sort of managing their body mm. i've seen it as like an overtraining thing but then there's all sorts like red s is that overtraining thing yeah. you've seen that gb rowing is posting a bit more about that these days yeah yeah it's like it's really encouraging to see that you know there's more awareness and i guess what comes with the awareness is support for the athletes um because it it is unfortunately you know actually quite common i think in in athletes particularly in female athletes and knowing that brush throwing are now doing more is really encouraging so how how does it sort of start where do you is it like from under fueling over training like what 
what sort of what are the causes? I guess they both sort of go hand in hand yeah. under fueling overtraining. Um, for me personally, um, it was I, it's hard to know which one came first for me. Mm. It's like chicken and egg kind of situation. Um, but yeah, for me, I did a lot of training on next to no calories. You know, I, that. 2021 2022 no sorry 2020 2021 time for me um I really didn't eat much food and um yeah I mean you were with me through most of it and it's looking back you know it potentially ruined my rowing career so it's certainly something that needs to be addressed um and yeah as I said it's just I'm really pleased to see that there is more support for athletes from grassroots all the way through to British rowing, um, because it's it's a horrendous condition that I think over time causes you know really quite devastating um, situations. I think like a big thing with you know a lot of like illnesses and injuries and stuff that you get from sport in general is that it's like the build up of something seemingly small over a sustained period of time. And so that's why it's like these things are so prevalent in men and women is that actually, you know, you're doing three sessions a day, six days a week, and then you have a rest day. How many people get to a rest day and think, I'm not training today, so I won't eat much for the week? Yeah. But actually a rest day is the only day of the week where you can catch up on what you miss. Yeah. And mm. so so we're talking like what you, let's say three days a week or 50 calories short, and you like that for three years. Well, you've been on a, you've been in a calorie deficit. Adds up, doesn't it? Yeah, and and that that happened that can happen to anybody. So then, the only way we can really kind of like know what state our body's in is say you take blood samples and you look at like leptin levels, so a protein within your blood, and if it's if leptin's increasing, then you're then you're in a deficit. Um, but you, there's there's cases where people, you know, men and women, will have increased their calories, two thousand, three thousand calories. Three, four months later, their leptin levels are still rising, and they've been in a deficit for so long, the body is still continuing to try and catch up, and it's like it takes a long time to get out of there. And it's only something we've, it's only like you know the last, I guess, I guess previously it would have been called the female thing triad, but now actually there's understanding that. It's in everybody. It can affect anyone, and it's not just. It's not necessarily just caused by, or it doesn't just affect people who are restrictively eating. You know, I think I think there was an assumption previously, but I think the same thing falls into like you know your stress fractures and your injuries, or you know, for you like that's a sudden onset or something. Actually, like what's happening before? There's so, we don't we don't know enough about some things in sport trying to get the quality of the research in it is really difficult and we're we're looking at kind of like your leading researchers who normally research comorbidities and kind of like the more public health sort of side of things but we don't have necessarily the high medical practitioners researching mm. in sport and that's only a field that's now started to be investigated more and more and, mm. and funded and supported yeah please like a lot of things happen, like everything happens slowly, good and bad. I think mean, everyone thinks that, like, for you, obviously, there was like an event where you sort of found out. But I think, like, but, I mean, there was there was a lead up to that. Exactly, yeah. And, and then, then, then that that combined with we all basically spend our 
our day kind of learning how to ignore the little warning voice in your head. Like if you want to be good at rowing, to some extent, you need to be able to kind of push through when that voice says don't. So that can kind of get confused with trying to teach people about like, you know, when someone says, all right, my back's hurting. Is it muscle soreness, like a weight muscle soreness? Is it like a sharp pain? Like there were kind of different types. And it's like the same thing, like to try and explain to someone like, are you tired like you normally feel tired? Is it a different kind of tiredness? But if it's something you've never experienced before, it's going to be difficult to tell. But I think on the same basis, you know, some oh, I'm not improving fast enough. You know, well, you only, you know, we only talked about making this change five days ago. You know, we're going to have to stick with this change for a long time. You're going to have to think about it every day and slowly and slowly and slowly you'll get better. I think it's about understanding that like on the negative, it happens in the same way. Things are going to come in slowly, slowly, slowly. Yeah. It's so hard to pick up on, Mike. And it's like something I found really hard when I was recovering from the Red S was, yes, I was starting to feel better, but it was really hard to know whether I was actually feeling better in the long term, whether I was just having a good day. Like, do I just feel better today because I had a good sleep last night or, you know, I, I've had a restful week like it. I found it very hard to understand like the longevity of that feeling better. And then the other thing I found hard was it was quite a realization. I'd felt awful for so long. I didn't know what feeling good meant. You know, I think I learned to row during my second year at university. So I came into the sport late and, you know, at the time, I think it's fair to say that, you know, that 2012, 2013 era of rowing, you know, power to weight was a massive thing like everyone got weighed all the time you know there was a real culture around light is fast and actually what I now realize is strong is fast healthy is fast yeah sure there's a power to weight element of it but it certainly should be the starting point so actually when I look back at my behaviors as a younger athlete it's no wonder I was so unwell a few years ago because actually I think I had been in a calorie deficit for probably the best part of eight years. And, you know, if you think that accumulative damage is, is huge. Um, you know, I, my hair was falling out. I had such bad ex where I'd have to go to A&E. I literally couldn't get out of bed. I didn't have a period for three years. Like, you know, I, I just look back at my younger self and I just wish I could go there and shake her, you know, just think for God's sake, just eat some food, like give your body what it needs. Like you wouldn't put shit fuel in your car, so don't put shit fuel into your body. Is is my analogy. So, yeah. I think yeah. that's why for me, like a training diary is really important as well. Yeah, not just to record your training, but to record how you feel, how you've slept, resting heart rate, like actually having like trying to build up some knowledge of yeah. your body. Yeah, and like knowing that baseline, because yeah. then when stuff it doesn't need to be perfect all the time, but you get that baseline. What I would say from that, I kept a spreadsheet. So I kept a spreadsheet. I would weigh myself once a week because I didn't want to become too obsessed with daily um, weighing. Um, But every morning I would take my heart rate. I would write down my perceived shape, my quality of sleep. And for every session, I would have the split. um, If it was an ergo, um, my heart rate and my perceived effort. Um, And it was a really good thing to do. I did it for to that extent that much detail i did it for the best part of the year but what i would say is you can just become too obsessed with it and i for the past year actually haven't done it at all because a you can psych yourself out you think oh god my heart rate is two beats higher that means i can't do this 2k test 
no, your heart beats just a few bits higher because it's hot or, you know, something like that. Were you nervous? She got you know, but, uh, Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Um, so I think, like anything, like, it's all about balance. Like, yeah. I do it, but not too much. So, right, so we, we recall all these things and we're like, we're so anal about everything we're writing down. We track everything. And I honestly think a fundamental thing that at all levels that should be introduced, if we're going to track stuff, it's like a fun scale. Like, we should be having fun. Yeah. And it doesn't matter if you're an Olympian or you're grassroots. Like, yeah. this should be fun. Yeah. And there will still be... I was talking to Leanne Rafi the other day, and they, they were struggling. And I was like, well, like it, at the end of the day, it's just rowing. And we, we love rowing. That's why we've got her. For some reason, the sport has lured us in, and we love doing it. But at some point, that you stopped loving it. And you don't need to fall out of love with the sport. Actually, when you're enjoying it, like... You're faster, like everything's better. You can go after things, you can try harder. And we should be able to to be at our best and to continue to push our limits and push our boundaries and be enjoying the day-to-day. And there'll be, like how many times did you win something and you didn't allow yourself to celebrate that win? It's so stupid. It's, and then it's over and you're like, why was I such an idiot? You know, like why didn't I enjoy those things? And and I honestly think that they're like if we're gonna track stuff, right, like bang a fun fun scale in there. And I yeah, like I didn't enjoy it. It's so so ridiculous. I was, I remember looking back at my career and having times thinking like, Oh yeah, well, I won under twenty three medals, but I never won anything. I never had that like crossing the line and win the gold. And then like be like, No, I actually I won Henley. And like having like almost like forgotten that you've won stuff because it like wasn't quite the thing that you wanted to win. Yeah, definitely. And we've spoken about that before, I think. So I think that comes back to supporting somebody who's a rower like that's that's often times your job is to you know you, you're talking about the type of people you all are so driven that you'll do an ergo and send yourself to any or you'll train so hard that you put yourself in red ass or you train to you basically broke your back and you have to you talk about your fun scale most of the time you are having fun because as you say you love it but you just don't realize it because you're so bogged down in the details and it's that whole thing of if you're always thinking about the next mountain peak, you never stop and enjoy the view. Mm. And it's just trying to sort of get that person to come back a bit and just maybe look at the bigger picture instead of the details and also try and get them to do the things that they know they need to do, but they might not because you think, oh, I've got to do this. And Susie, you do this sometimes, like talking about the rest day, you need to eat more. It's like you, you, there's been a couple of times where you're like, oh, I've had a bad week. And then I see your train of thought. You're like, I've had a bad week, so I need to catch up. And you're like, well, should I go for a run today? I'm like, no, absolutely not. <laughs> go to bed and sleep. You're crazy. With, um, with this concussion and you're like, you're like, what head are you doing today? And um, yeah. And and uh, I so I'd had I'd done like three ten minutes really really steady on the egg. It was one of my first sessions back since hitting my head. And Walk um, went, well, please see that you've grown up because you a few years ago would have just done. Well, I haven't done training in a few weeks. I better do sixty minutes as hard as I possibly can do. Six hour egg. Catch up. I always say like things like Christmas training programs and stuff. Like do as much as you can. But don't miss two days and then be like, right, I'll catch up. Yeah. Like if you've missed the day, you've missed it. Just just get back on where it is. Don't be like, oh, I'll just put all that in tomorrow. What I would say, we're talking about having fun. There is absolutely nothing enjoyable about erging in your Baltic garden over the Christmas break. 
all your family are inside like you know got the celebration box of chocolates like watching a nice film and you're on the egg you gotta go early it's not good you always think i've got the whole day good. i'll just chill i'll do my session later no 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 you've got yeah, get out really yeah yeah but then yeah. you'll be able to laugh at how miserable it is oh it's just if you, if you develop that sense of humor you'll get through and then like you know i've been doing it for 11 12 years my dad will still come outside and go cool are you still really on that thing? <laughs> yes. Yes, I am. This <laughs> one was meant to say, I guess, there as a season for cheese. It's like when my mum or mum loves Easter, loves holidays in general, loves Easter, and would ring me up and be like, Is she coming back for Easter? I'm like, Well, like, I'll come back for Sunday, but we're, we're training. What, you're training on the Easter? <laughs> yeah. For the last 10 years, mum. Like, I yeah, don't get these trials. trials. It's trials, yeah. 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 Right, um, with the holidays coming, I've got to come out of this. Okay, so. My mum, uh, bless her soul, she always makes these sausage rolls. <laughs> you got to get a picture, right? Yeah, I, don't, I haven't got a picture, but I'll, I'll send one in. And um, these things are so dense. If you threw it at the wall, it'd go through the wall. <laughs> and, every, and every year, it's like, she's right past it. You come around and go out on a Jackie's. And it's not even the right pastry. You know, that, like, hang on, how big are they? Like, 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 one, one is about this. Like it's a, it's a big, big well, they're chunky. Yeah, they're chunky. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Basically, and it's dense. <laughs> so it's like it's like about this thick, and you know, and then you know, whatever the pastry is you're supposed to use, it's not it's not that flaky, fluffy stuff. It's the like it's like the base of a pie. Right. It's, it's like, like short crust. Wait, no, oh, short yeah. crust, but not. Uh, she gets the pastry complete. Yeah, yeah. it's the rolls. It's just the not. It's just not been rolled out. <laughs> <laughs> every, every year, someone comes around, you have to try these things, and, and they're chewing on it. It's like some sweeney thought. Okay. And then, oh, Jack, yeah, very good. And you know, you need like a pint of water to try and wash down a single mouthful. But this is the first year where I don't have to be at weight and I'm going to, I'm going to have to eat. <laughs> <laughs> I had an excuse. You miss, oh, what are we going to do? And Fred? Veggie. Well, who's she going to listen to the podcast? <laughs> yeah, she'll be outside having a fag going, oh, no. She's like, right. I've got a word with you. Anyway, my sauce draws are famous now. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, you're in trouble now. I, I think you've just signed yourself up for perhaps more than one. I'm going to have a lifetime of supply. <laughs> so uh, I guess we're getting towards it now on that note. Yeah, like uh, tips tips for Christmas. Tips for dealing with Christmas as a well, as a cox maybe. In general, training, food, enjoying yourself, things like that. Definitely just get up and get your session done so you can enjoy the day. Yeah. Like, you know, you don't get much time to be with your family. So instead of having the like guilt that you haven't done the session and or the fear of what session is to come, you know, just be present with your family, enjoy being with them by getting up and getting the session done. So don't train on Christmas Day. No, I love don't, it. Oh. I love it. I really fell at fall into that group. Really? I know. Well, just like I don't probably wouldn't do it now. But like when I was 14 and I found out that James Cracknell trains on Christmas Day. What, are you not going to do it this Because none of his enemies do. I was like, oh, I'm in. Like, that's, I'm yeah, this it. session is going to make me so fast. So you're not training this Christmas Day then? Uh, I don't, don't do that. You don't do that anymore. I don't think I did that last year. Did I? So you yeah. go for a marathon run this year. Did we? Just or did we? To, so, to he know, yeah, he knows. Just trying to make him work out on Christmas Day. Well, yeah. I swear, like, some, some families have like a tradition where like they'll run, do a half marathon in the morning. Yeah, that's yeah, not that's 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 But my family is that family that does a 5K run. Yeah. <laughs> really? 
Yeah. We go for a run on Christmas Day. Yeah. Dad takes grandma to church and we go for a run. He fall flying there. My grandmother got to church. <laughs> I think not, not even religious. Doesn't go any other time of the year. I keep it no, literally. <laughs> you want to date. Uh, I see why like you rowers date each other now because last year you came to ours. I'm not a rower, but last year you came to ours around Christmas time. And I think that was the first time you met my parents. And she's outside. She brought her ergo with her, gets out of the car, and she's outside. Like, if that had been a normal family, they'd been like, who is this person you brought home? But luckily for her, it yeah. was our family, so they were just completely used to it. They're like, oh, Susie's on the ergo outside. Is she in minus four? Yeah. No one even cared. Good luck. Good job it was our house, though, because it also was broken. The screen wasn't working oh, yeah. when I got the ergo. The screen was so definitely working because I saw how bad the space were. <laughs> or some, no, I fixed, you must it. Have fixed, I fixed it. it before you got on it, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, you did. That's right. Yeah, you did. You put a new bungee in it. Yeah. No, you, oh, no, you serviced it for me. Yeah, yeah. serviced For, yeah. yeah. Um, That's yeah, what you get when you come to the Clark House. <laughs> <laughs> bring your ergo with you. <laughs> well, you serviced it for free for, because it's actually James' ergo, isn't it? No, that was my ergo. Oh, but I also fixed James Erg and then he gave me a bottle of Bollinger. And I saw the price of Bollinger in the shop the other day and it's actually, you got this pretty good deal because you were like, I'll do it for free. And then you got a bottle of Bollinger. It's just not far off the Probably, probably more. Than good choice. Thing. Yeah, the best. Um, yeah, I agree. I think Christmas is like, it's definitely the time to try and, I think what you said about being present. I think when you're training, do the training. And when you're not, don't. And like that goes back to like what we spoke about, about having time away from rowing and make sure you're not getting stuck in your head about it. Um, it's so easy, isn't it, to just keep... And I think it's getting easier and easier with social media. You can just sit on TikTok and just go through rowing reels. I, or, like, I think something really hard about, you know, I don't know if you guys found this in COVID, but we're so used to leaving our home, going to training, leaving training, going home and... Yeah, still there's times where we find it hard to switch off from leaving one. We find it hard switching off even though we're leaving a building and going to a different one. So actually when you have to train in your home environment, which is usually your place of comfort where you try and relax, it can actually be really stressful to like, like give, give yourself the motivation to train because you've got to get yourself off the sofa onto the egg or hard to and or hard to switch off. So if you can, like, don't have your erg in sight. Of, you know, if you're if you're in your living room and you can see your erg in the garden, just try and put it around the corner so you're not blinded <laughs> of it, and just Still try lacking. and yeah, just try and like create a bit of boundaries. I guess, like, you know, if there is space in the garage, put it in the garage so you don't have to be reminded of it in your garden. We all realise like how synonymous this is like a toxic relationship. I'm gonna, I'm literally, <laughs> I literally was just thinking toxic. Like, I don't, don't want to see you. you. Yeah. Like, you yeah. don't get that with other sports. Yeah. Like, make sure it's outside my eye line, otherwise I'm going <laughs> to end up on it. It's like, put the football and boots away. Yeah. I, can't, I just can't deal with it. <laughs> if I have to look at another football. I know, can you imagine you're, you're like, your mum and your dad, you're like, oh, you, you know, you normally they're like, should I go for a kickabout? Like, should go and do a few bursts. Quick, now 20, you and I. Yeah. We do that sometimes at work when we're, where, where we was freezing the other day. Right, right. Burst of 20, warm up. Seven strokes, Max Watts. <laughs> Boom. Um, I can imagine you doing that. Have kids. Anyway, like, yeah, we'll just have a bit of fun. Like, we'll bond together on the ergo and then, like, cut to this little kid on the yeah, only 65 minutes left. <laughs> <laughs> oh! No, maybe not that. But sat, sat here now, like, listen to you, I can, I can hear the voice in my head now that it's like, 
you're going to train on Christmas now because <laughs> Arthur's mentioned it. Like I can feel it in there being like winding me up. Yeah, we're all going to wake up now on Christmas Day and be like, great. Here we go. I'll, I'll film <laughs> it and we can put it on one of the podcasts so everyone can see. Did, did we film Susie? I'm, all I'm hearing is 2K on Christmas Day. <laughs> no, Seven boobs. Right, they're going to get on Zoom. Half hour, eight twenty. Also, do a 2K or try a 2K if you are a parent or a supporter. Like, see how hard it is. You yeah, get into that is good. But like, get on an ergo and try a 2K and see exactly how much it sucks. Yeah. My dad gets on the egg every day at the moment. He's doing 20 minutes. Yeah, Jackie started rowing the other day. She rowed a quad with three people in it. It's so bloody. <laughs> all right, Jackie, that one back your spine. Yeah, bag in the corner. Finally, <laughs> 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 for <laughs> Now she's rowing. She's rested tomorrow. Oh, yes, Murphy. Dad. She ran me up. She's being a bit of welly. I was like, all right, sir. Come on, Oh, but where's she ro- rowing? Where? Ross there? Yeah, uh, Ross. But what what event? Is it more Ross? Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I don't think you might be wrong. A little quick. Other head races are available. Sell the BBC. Yeah, everyone bug went through. Well, I started it, and then Dad was like, "That looks really easy. I'm gonna have a go at that." So then joined Worcester Rowing Club. And was like, "Oh, it's not that easy." And then my sister <laughs> learned it uh, at uni, and she would have done quite well. She was she got into like the UL development squad. But she was at um, Queen Mary, which is like the other side of London. So like, if bit of a joke. Yeah, you have to get up at like half three or something because you're having to get the tube across the whole of that. It's like nightmare. Not happening. Right. Then, yeah. Then mum did it for a bit and you did it a bit. So everyone had a go. I definitely think it would give you appreciation because rowing's, you like look at it or you look at a good crew. You're like, oh, easy. Yeah, I could do that. I don't know what they're worrying about. Why, why do you keep coming home complaining that you can't do it? Or just go. Why don't you just... Well, if you're not happy with your erg score, why don't you just pull a bit harder? Otherwise, you're saying that. Yeah. I didn't. I, I guess you're never going to understand anything, but I guess, like, just with any sport, isn't it? It's just trying to be sympathetic. But I really like, yeah, going back to I really like what just said, like, use use the advantage of not being a rower to allow the conversation to get steered away from rowing at times. Good advice. Yeah. I've got a question then. Go on. <clears throat> If you had to, I mean, this is for the Rose Morgs, I guess you can say maybe the worst you've seen, but like, if you were to say, like, what's your worst 2K or like the, like in terms of where you felt the worst, like, like you went to that deepest, darkest point where you're in the most pain or whatever, which one was it? And was it a good erg or a bad erg? Always, for me, always bad. Like, I remember when I did my PB, at the end, towards the end of my career, I uh, I just got a GoPro, some other brand. I was like, oh, I'm going to film it. I'm going to like see all the pain and the struggle. And I just like actually had a really good one, like perfectly nailed it, executed the plan. Was a bit tired at the end, but just didn't really look like that much of a struggle. Yeah. But when you're coming off pace, like when the plan's unraveled and you've still got 750 to go, you're in like your last 500 and then that's when you start doing stupid stuff so you're like well i've got nothing to lose now like i'm way off the pace like i'm just gonna i'm just gonna do my finish now and see what happens and you start going into like a pretty horrible place i don't know i would say the worst ones because you always get that high you know coming to that last two three hundred you're like oh i'm gonna pb like you always find a little bit something extra like there's just some kind of last 200s for free yeah you know like you know it's coming you know you're in the right place there are definitely difficult ones when you're like like really close. It's going to be 0.1, 0.2. Am I going to PB or not? And that's going to push you to a high level. But the ones that feel the worst, it's like when you're putting all this effort in and I, oh, I already know this score's going to suck. Yeah. 
I completely agree with that one. Like when you get a P, I completely agree. Yeah, when you get a, whenever you get a PB, well, whenever I've got a PB, I've always felt like I could have done more, and that to me gives me confidence that I absolutely nailed the pacing. But like, do you remember that five k I did last year? Awful, absolutely awful. It felt oh, horrific, no, and the score was horrific. Five k is a different game. I mean, I was coming down hard with tonsillitis that I didn't realise, but um, yeah, I think if you feel bad, generally speaking, you're not on for a good like, level. You couldn't see and someone had to tell you to stop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I will. I do. Occasionally, I do a 2K for fun. Well, yeah, do it on a Christmas day. <laughs> and occasionally, I'll do a half hour 8.20 just to kind of... Well, Suze, so you're going to yeah. be, uh, not on Christmas Day, but you'll be at ours over Christmas, so maybe you two could have a little race. I've got nothing to prove. <laughs> I'll, never, I'll never do a 5K again ever in my life. Like, no. They're all flawed. Yeah, they are the worst. Because I, I had, so for Arthur's question, I had, it was in February of lockdown uh, in 2021. And I'd like I'd spent three weeks doing a half slide because I had tendonitis in the back of my knee and I refused to rest. Um and so I was like in my dad's garage and so I got an extension uh, for like the 5k deadline for GB uh, and then and so I like I did this 5k and Sean, Sean, Sean had been in communication with Sean and he was like yeah if you can um, if you can go sub 16 again I think that would be uh, yeah be- best case scenario that would be yeah really really good um, and so I'm there and like I'd gone what 15, 57 in December and like just perfectly executed tests like every they make us measure every 250 and every 250 up until like 1250 to go was within like two watts of each other this test i got to halfway and gone uh oh this isn't no and then i got to 1500 meters to go and i was like well oh if i go now sub 16 is on and then I got to like 500 meters to go and I was just like three quarter slide rate 40 pulling as hard, like as hard as I possibly could every stroke. And I PB by like 0.2 of a second. Oh, you hang on to that. <laughs> yeah. That's the story we're going. They'll be like, yeah, in the last hundred, you know. Oh no, yeah. So that, were popping back up. And... Well, no, that, that was one where it's like, I felt awful, but still ended up having a good one. That's the, um, I've got one story like that. I think that I don't normally say it was luck but for me that was definitely luck when I yeah I got to halfway and I was like way off the cut off time I was like god this just isn't gonna end well and then it was when I was at Brooks and Alan French was standing behind me at 1500 to go and he was like Suze if you want to get the cut off you have got to go now so I just started sprinting and hmm. yeah well, it's just like one of those things you're like um well if I've got to get the job done yeah I've got to do it yeah. now <laughs> so is that what you would say like your worst one was in terms of in terms of how well, in terms of how I felt, um, like afterwards, like probably similar to the two K I did, what three weeks ago, because yeah. Uh, yeah, that that was awful, because um, I was just out of it for so long afterwards, and like just the last five hundred was just in so much pain, but then that five K, I had that like adrenaline, that high from PBing but it wasn't quite enough to counteract how bad I felt afterwards either. Oh, yeah. That's when you know a really bad... When you PB and you still are like, oh, God, like, this is bad. Like, yeah. And that's that pretty much sums up where I know that, like, if you want to do the best you've ever done, it's going to be the worst you've ever done. It's going to hurt, yeah. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be awful. 
I spent the next half an hour, 35 minutes after that, um, just like, just vomiting. It was like pretty consistent. And because I was with my dad, my dad's a doctor. He was like, hey, are you okay? So he was like, we were in the garage and he was there like, just like next to me, just watching me. And then like, would occasionally say something. Um, and afterwards, he's like, I've got to take you to the hospital. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I need to take you to the hospital. I was like, dad, this is, this is bad, but like, this is normal. Like, <laughs> Just like, let me get on with it. Meanwhile, you get wrapped up and then you just... <laughs> <laughs> Bro, I don't know if I've been okay. So, you've obviously done um, fixtures at Oxford uh, and now as Leander. Yeah. So, when you were at Oxford, how, what were the fixtures phrased as for you? Uh, well, f- fixtures, just like an opportunity to go and like practice on the course basically and then with a boat side by side okay so this always interests me so 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 you know that was the same for me a fixture is opportunity put on an organized race for the boat race crews to practice being on the course and where they're with the crew side by side yeah yeah. side by side and for the umpires to practice working with those coxes and get to know how it goes okay so so now racing as leander how was a fixture phrase for you Go and beat up Oxford and Cambridge. Exactly. And it's like, I think people forget that when they go in these different fixtures. The fixtures are there so you can help the boat race crews train for the boat race and prep. But what it's turned into is like some sort of derby match where you get you blow holes with each other's ships. And it's like, actually, like, that's not what this is for. It's not fine. It's not for that. I'd like to see you do that all the time. You say blow holes in each other's ships. In the Oxford fixture, earlier this year um on the footage there's like a ri- there's a there's a, a sh- there's a stroke where like like strokes i just go in just under just like completely under and i don't oh, like what the hell has gone on here like why like what was going on turns out we actually collided with the oxford boat and there's like there was damn it on the like the carbon rail that goes along the bow of the of the boat like there was like that had buckled from the collision. See, I, I so yes, blowing holes in each other's there, right? I think fixtures have completely lost their way. Like, I think it is. It, it there's no need to be like smashing into each other. Yeah, it's, because it's such a big scale, you know, to be able to go away. Because also, especially like talking about non-rowers, you know, how many times are a row? Like, oh my god, like Austin Cape is like the best rowing in the world, isn't it? It's like, well, sometimes, but not always. And there are a lot of other places. <laughs> yeah, not not every year, and they're like. But like, there's a sort of a feeling of like, if you can say to someone, "Oh yeah, we we raced Oxford and we beat them," it's like that scale. I get it, but I think, and like, as a coach and as a cox, like, it's just it's poor. It's a poor skill set to ram your boat into another boat, and and it's become it's become like bloody fashionable to do it now. And I'm like, this is really silly. Like, actually, clashing do, is do some it. good coxing, <laughs> do some good racing. Like, it, but it's it's so pompous. Like, don't you think it's so arrogant? Think about how much money it costs. For these boats, for this equipment, we're trying to change. We're trying to change the sport. We're trying to change the stereotype around rowing, make it accessible. Oh, for the crack, we crash into each other. Yeah, but again, like you, you're talking about rowers who will break their own bodies to win, so they're not going to care about a boat. Anyone who thinks you can take eight elite or nine elite level athletes from Leander, drive them all up to London, and say you're not here to win. You're here to help the other team learn. You just—it's never no, going to happen. But the, but the expectation, the expectation is still to deliver like the hardest race that someone can do. What I'm saying is, is those coxes and those trenches 
like just don't ram your boat into each other. Like the, the, stream, yeah. like, the stream is not that skinny. It's not this tiny piece of string that we're trying to balance on, like a tightrope walker. It is wide enough. There is enough room, and like let the rowers pull. I agree, with but you. I'd also say if you, I just don't see it happening. If you really, if you really wanted to say like this is a learning experience and not a race, like don't publish the results, don't or don't publish the race times, which is what they'll do now for fixtures. Everyone come down on Putney nice and watch stream. the boats. Like you'd be like, right, okay, we're gonna we're gonna do a piece from somewhere random to somewhere random. We'll start one crew a length down, then we'll swap and start one crew a length up. You can like practice race scenarios rather than be like, here's the finish, here's the start, here's the gun. Everyone's watching. What do you think is going to happen? Like, obviously, it's, I guess gonna, it's going to get pulled. But there's the argument that it's still going to be fiercely competitive and on a, and a, and a proper event. What I'm saying is, like, right, we're going the wrong way with with how we're deploying tactics, you know? Yeah, I definitely feel like after seeing uh, the boat race with Zoe in, when a clash of blades snapped a blade in half, I feel like as a cop, if I was a cop, I'd be like, well, that's not going to happen to me. Like, I think people before then would like just crash and think, oh, I'll be fine, you know, we'll separate. But I think if you can see you can lose a race by snapping a blade, I'd be freaking out to go anywhere near. But like, what I was going to say is, my understanding of fixtures is always to try and replicate the boat race for Oxford and Cambridge. And if clashes happen during the boat race, then it's good for the Coxes and Rose to, to have been exposed to that before. And, you know, it's a good point of saying, oh, well, let's just make it, you know, far lower key, like not say where the start finish is going to be, not publish it. But that's also all part of the practice of dealing with the race day type environment, like having more media there, that just being exposed to that is all part of the practice. So as now I think it, it needs to replicate what the boat race looks like. And if the boat race is clean and there's no clashing and you don't, you know, I know you obviously would get disqualified if it was really unfair, but I just think the fixtures need to replicate what the boat race looks like in whatever capacity that is. Didn't they also, this year, when you did it, they did something, you were ahead and they called it a draw or they disqualified you unfairly or something? Oh, you vote for the whole... <laughs> but like, stuff like that happens seven. and then you obviously go into the third one being like, oh, let's go. There have been times where you're racing in a fixture and you don't know where the finish line is and they may or may not cool down when Oxford or Cambridge are up. And tough puns. <laughs> Josh laughing at the other end of the table. <laughs> yeah. Well it's, it's we as we we always knew where the um where the finishers would be uh when, when I was racing fixtures with Oxford it was very we we would know. I, I don't know whether they would pass it on to the other crews, but we I mean, we I'm were sure very we got sure. past the blue dot, so we're still going. <laughs> As a little bloke down there, <laughs> not a little blue. Yeah. In my second year, we had um, so fixture against Brooks, and we lost the first one, I think, by half a length, and then we won the second one by a length. And on their report, they said they won both of them and they just made up margins. I do think <laughs> like that... Apparently we lost by clear water. It is funny. Like, what? <laughs> so if, you read, if you read, say it's Oxford, um, B. Brooks, B. Liad, whoever, read Oxford's report and then read who they're racing <laughs> And it's funny how you can turn things to record. That's why it's televised now, you know? Yeah, yeah. You can watch your back, see what actually happened. Yeah. Take the win where you can. Cool. I think we'll uh, we'll wrap it up. Um, 
Josh is going to go off to London. Thanks very much for coming, guys. Um, random chat, bits and pieces, all sorts of stuff. It was fun fun to get you all guys in the room. Hopefully we can do it again in some time. When you're too far. We're going to speak to you again later on this yeah. month. Yeah, a with Christmas special. Uh, yeah. I'd like to get Art back on with uh, some talk about some CrossFit stuff, maybe with your CrossFit coach. We need to keep talking about doing that one. Um, and Josh, we still even haven't done. We haven't done your origin story. Um, but if we don't fit that in, definitely uh, next boat race it would be another fun one to do. Awesome. So that's everything for today's episode. So on that note, easy there. Cue the music. <laughs>